We'll just pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that uh, it speaks to us, Lord. It, it meets us right where we're at. And I pray today, Lord, uh, that wouldn't be any different, that as we jump in your word, uh, that you would talk to us, Lord, that we'd be able to have an ear to hear what you would have to say to us, and we'd be sensitive to you, Lord. We just give you this morning, Lord, uh, you're worthy of all our worship, of everything we have, Lord. We just give you this time, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, we're going to jump back into verse 18, and if you remember, this is the end. This is the last year of Jesus' life. It's actually the last uh, six to eight months of Jesus' life. He's teaching his disciples so much. Something that he taught them, if you, if you read with me in verse 18, it says, It happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who did the crowd say that I am? And so they answered and said, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ of God. And he strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, and this is why, and they didn't understand this, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and something they definitely didn't understand, it says, and that he be raised again the third day. They didn't let that compute uh, in their brain. But something that, that Jesus always did, especially in, in Luke here, uh, seven times it says that the disciples, that we find Jesus praying. He's praying, he's praying, he's getting alone praying. Right? What is praying? Every time we see it in the Bible, it's somebody talking to God. You're looking for an answer. You're looking to, to hear something from the Lord. And, and Jesus here is praying, and the disciples see him praying. Right? I know that that was something that, that ministered to, to so many people. I know Chuck Smith is a guy said he just loved to see his mom praying and reading the Word. Right? It affects people. You should be praying. Right? And, and uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. Somebody asked him, what's more important? Is it more important to read the Bible or is it more important to pray? Maybe you guys know or heard this uh, already. Uh, and he said, well, that, that's, that it's, he says, that's like breathing. What's more important, breathing out or breathing in? Right? They're both important. Being in the Bible, being in the Word of God and praying are both important. If you're a Christian and you want to hear from the Lord, because number one, you're asking him questions. You're talking to the Lord and he's answering you. And how does he answer you? He answers you in the word of God. He wants to give you answer. Jeremiah uh, says, I, I think it's 33, three. He says, ask me, right? Talk to me, call unto me and I will answer you. And show you great and mighty things that you don't know. Right? That's part of prayer. God wants to tell you things and walk you things that maybe you haven't gone through and things that you don't know and you haven't experienced yet. God says, ask me. Call unto me. Right? And, and so the disciples see Jesus praying again. And this is the one thing that the disciples ask Jesus. Of anything that is recorded about Jesus 
Like they could have asked him anything, but w- and we're going to see it in Luke 11. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They, they saw that, that that's something they, they fell short in. And maybe you could, I'm not looking for a show of hands, maybe you fall short in that area. Like, man, I need to learn how to pray more. I need to learn how to pray and talk to the Lord. It's so important. And so they, of anything they could ask Jesus, Lord, teach me how to uh, walk on water. Teach me how to do miracles. Teach me how to talk to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders. Teach me. They could have asked him anything. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw the effectiveness in it. They saw the fruit of a life and a man that prayed. James says this, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Right? If you're praying, it's working. You may not see it today. You might not see the fruit of it today. But God is working through prayer. Right? And we're going to look at the mo- that model prayer later, Luke 11. But he's, he's alone praying, and he asks his disciples a, cra- a question. Who do the crowd say that I am? And, and you know, I, I picture the disciples saying, uh, you know, funny you should ask. Because they're saying a lot about you. People are saying a lot about you. They know there's something different about Jesus. They know that, that he's just not an ordinary person, that there's something different. And they say, well, listen, the, the people say, think that you're John the Baptist, who's dead, who was beheaded. Some say Elijah or, or another prophet has risen. Right? There's all these ideas. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Matthew's account and, and uh, is Matthew 16 it explains it more. But, but Peter is pretty direct. He says, you're the Christ of God. That, that word Christ is the, the Greek equivalent you know, to the Hebrew. It's the Messiah. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the chosen one. You're the one that God is sending to redeem the world. Right? They didn't fully understand it yet. They thought Jesus is going to set up his kingdom right now, right here. They didn't realize Jesus had to die yet. They didn't understand that. Who do you say that I am? I remember uh, over 10 years ago now, we went to Africa, went to Uganda, and we stayed in this guest house. And the guest house overlooked uh, a a big part of Kampala uh, in Uganda. And we, were, you know, we go there every morning and, and sit out there. You get out there really early. It's dark. They'd have some lights on and, and, and super friendly. They'd you know, bring coffee out. There was a little restaurant there. And we'd just sit there. I'd do my devotions there and, and look at uh, you know, the city, the lights on. And, and you know, I think I was there for almost three weeks. And what I, every morning I sat there and you'd hear the bells ring from the mosque every morning. Uh, and, and, I, and I experienced several churches there. One church uh, in particular, it was during worship. I, I just got this snapshot, like, who do men say that I am? Because, you know, Muslims say Jesus is a prophet. Uh, I went to another church, and, and the guy who was leading the worship, it was great, very 
Pentecostal is really cool, cultural. And, but next thing I know, this guy's crawling in between the seats singing. I'm like, where are we? What is going on? Don't, don't step on me. Like, it was crazy. It got really crazy there. And then another church we went to, the guy's saying, I need money. My pulpit is ashamed of me. I need, you guys have, you're Americans. You need to give us money. And just, just experienced all these different things. Who do men say that I am? Who do they think Jesus is? Who do they think Jesus is? What are people saying about me? And then he asks this specific question, who do you say that I am? That's the question everyone has to answer. Doesn't matter what the person next to you is saying. Because you're going to give an account. You're going to answer that question someday before the Lord. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. Important answer. It's the right answer. If you're looking for the right answer, I always needed that in school. I look on the person next to me. What is this answer? I don't want to talk about school too much. Uh one time I passed the test, I got 100 on it. The whole time I'm looking over, like the teacher doesn't even see me looking. This is amazing. I kept looking, getting the answer, getting the answer, and then we corrected it. I got 100 on it. You know, we exchange papers, get 100. Like I got 100. I got away with it. And then we handed in so we can get our grade, and it came back zero, cheating. Like she watched me the whole time. Ah. <laughs> oh. I didn't say I won't do that again. I said I got to get better at that. <laughs> Who do men say that I am? Peter answers the question. And then it says, Jesus goes on to say, to tell them something very important. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Peter didn't like that. Matthew and Mark record the fact that, G- that Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him and say and, and said, no, that can't happen to you. And, and, and if you remember, Jesus, Jesus commends Peter on his, on his statement of faith, like flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. It was my Father in heaven. And on that statement, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And then, you know, Peter takes him aside and says, no, you can't die. You're not going to suffer. That's not going to happen. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Not that he was the devil, but he had that spirit of the, the, the he didn't want to see Jesus die and suffer. Thought there was another way, something better. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's something that the disciples needed to know. Jesus is warning them. And then in verse 23, we'll read a couple verses here and go back. It says, then Jesus says to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever desires to lose and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Then he asks a question: For what profit is it to a man 
if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed. When he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Jesus says, listen, if you desire to come after me, there's desire, denial, death, and destiny. If you desire to come after me. Jesus isn't just making converts. Just not, it's not just salvation. That's, hey, I want to be saved, right? You want to go to heaven. Everyone who doesn't want to go to heaven, raise their hand. That's an easier question, right? Everyone wants to go to heaven, I believe. Right? And Jesus does that. He goes to the cross, pays all the penalty for our sins. But part of that, he tells the disciples, listen, you're going to go down a hard road. The same way I'm going to suffer, he sees what the disciples are going to suffer. And how it's not an easy road to be a Christian. It's not an easy path. Right? So Jesus said, to do that, if you want to follow me, if you desire to come after me, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to deny yourself Take up your cross daily to follow me. And that doesn't mean a lot to us today. Uh, It does, but it, it doesn't. For the disciples, they would know exactly what Jesus meant. This was radical for them because for them, for someone when they took up their cross, they weren't coming back alive. Right? When somebody carried a cross, it was like, oh gosh, that guy's... You know, they're beaten, bruised, they've been whipped, and now they're carrying a cross to a destination of death. They're about to hang there until they were expired, right? So Jesus is being pretty radical. If you want to follow me, if that's your desire, guess what? It's not going to be easy. You have to take up your cross, this instrument of death, a a death to yourself, and your flesh, and, and your old nature, and, and your old plans. He says, and that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. If you desire to come after me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And when Paul was saved, and I'm sure I shared this before, you know, he's on the road to Damascus, ready to put Christians in prison and to death. And the Lord knocks him off his horse. He's blind. And Jesus says, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why, what are you doing? And, and, and Paul says, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's taking up your cross. It's going a direction in your life, knowing that, what you've been doing has been maybe messed up. That's, that, that's why people come to Christ. They realize there's a crossroads in their life, and they're, they, they're, what am I doing? What is life all about? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here, and where am I going? And then there's a crossroads. And Paul, when he hit the crossroads, Lord, 
what do you want me to do? I'm sick of living my own life, doing my own thing. I've been trying it for X amount of years. And I don't feel any better. Things aren't going great. And Jesus is making it clear there's no option B and there's no turning back. Jesus mar- it was marked in the disciples' mind when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there and he's praying. And as he's praying, he's sweating, as it were, the Bible says, great drops of blood, right? You look at Jesus and like, dude, what is wrong with you? What's going on? Like the stress, the capillaries breaking and mis- mixing with sweat and, and actually looking like he, he's bleeding. And his prayer there is, Father, if there's any other way than the cross, if there's another way to redeem mankind, if there's a different option for me, then take this cross from me because this is hard. Right? And there's no other way. Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever your will is. And there was no other way. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of the cross for Jesus. It's the way of the cross for you and I. Has to be. Has to be. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Paul, so many letters that Paul wrote would, would, would call himself not the great apostle. Not, he would call himself a servant of Jesus Christ. So many times he would call himself a servant of Jesus Christ. And you might call yourself that too. You know what, I serve the Lord. Or, but it meant something. It's the Greek word doulos. It's a bond slave. It's somebody who has their whole will wrapped up in somebody else's will. Like if you're a servant of Jesus Christ, it's like, not my will anymore, Lord. What do you have for my life? Right? Because you're here for such a short time. You know, uh, uh, I think it was Paul who said, uh, told Timothy, that we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can take nothing out of this world. Right? All of our achievements, our goals, our everything we do, at the end of the day, you're not taking anything with you. It's you, and you're going to stand before God someday. That's it. Paul said he's a bond slave. It's a free, if you look in the Old Testament, uh, uh, God told Moses, for servants, if you're a slave, because that's, that's what this is, if you were a slave of somebody, you might, be, you might owe money or maybe you're in trouble and you would become someone's slave and you would serve them. But it says, if you love your master at the end of the time of your service and you say, you know what, I, lo- I, I don't want to go. I love this guy. I love the way he treated me. I love my master. It says, you know what you can do? You can go to the door and put your ear to the door, to the, the, the casing, and they'll drive an all through it and put an ear in, in your ear. And it meant something. It meant that, you know what? I'm free, but I choose to stay because I love my master. It's better here than it is out there. I choose to stay right here because it's better serving this master than it was any other master. And that's what Paul declared. 
I'm, I'm just a servant, and I'd rather be a servant. I'd rather do that. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's profound. We live in a culture in America that people don't know their identity. There's an identity crisis in America. People don't know their sexuality, their gender. And it's kind of scary. And Jesus says, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. Trying to find it. You're trying to find your identity, who you are. Jesus said, it's right here. You want to know who you are? You find your identity in me. Because I'm the one that created you. David said that. That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created for something, right? You don't look at a car or a building and think, wow, that's just amazing evolution. You were created intricately, specifically. Culture also says, to find yourself, you need to love yourself more. You need to give yourself more time, me time. You need to focus on yourself more. It should be more about you. But that's not what Jesus said. That can be very depressing. When you just think about you and what you don't have and what you should be doing, what you could be doing, what you don't have, what you may never have, that gets very depressing. That's why Jesus said, you know what? If you save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, that's when you start living. That's when life starts. Jesus said, I came to give them life and life more abundant. It's eternal life and, abund and abundant life. If you're anything like me, before I was a Christian, I made a mess of my life. I made bad decisions, bad choices, had bad habits, and those choices had consequences. And I was locked in, couldn't change. Just one thing led to the, to the next and to the next and to the next. Until finally I said, Lord, I'm just messing my life up. And it's not getting better, it's getting worse. I want to give it to you. Paul said this, if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Because Paul was the CEO of his life. He had everything. He had wealth, power, popularity. Paul says this in verse 4, 
Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. Like Paul was part of the Sanhedrin. He gave his vote to have Stephen killed. He was one of 70 rulers in Israel. One of only 70 men that were heads in Israel. These were men of power, of wealth. He had it all going for him. He could do whatever he wanted. He was killing Christians. But he says this about his past and who he was and his success because he was successful. Right? Everyone here wants to be successful. They, th- they think, that's when I'm going to be happy if, I, is a, if I'm successful. And Paul had all these success. He says this in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss. I lost that for Christ. Because you can't hold on to both. You can't hold on to your old past and your old life. He says those things... He says, yet, verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. That word rubbish, if you have a King James, it's actually the word dung. You guys know what that is, right? He says, I count it all as rubbish my past, my old life, what I had. And he says this, to be, and, and I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of, from God by faith. And then he says this, that I might know him. That's what he wanted, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed his death. Paul says, I count it all loss. That old life, that old way, it was wrong. I had the wrong ideas. A guy that had the, the, the world by the tail didn't have anything. And this is, and then verse 25, I remember first hearing this when I, right when I got saved, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so crazy. <laughs> he says, For what profit, it, profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? If he gained the whole world, the devil offered Jesus the world. Listen, he, he, he went around and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll give you all this on one condition. You bow down and worship me. You don't have to go to the cross. <laughs> Everything you want is right here. I'll give it to you. Right? And Jesus rebuked him. What profit? What if you gain everything in the world, but you're, you're lost or destroyed? Your life is so temporal, it's so short. If you get everything, Jesus warned these guys. 
Jesus said his kingdom's not of this world. And if you're a Christian, guess what? Your kingdom's not of this world. You're not made for this world. It's never going to make you happy. And then he says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed. And when he comes in his glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels, whoever's ashamed of me, that means embarrassed, guilty, afraid, right? Whoever's ashamed of me. Peter experienced that, that, that guilt as he denied the Lord in the garden, right? And it, 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 this, he's being questioned. Hey, aren't you with, don't you know Jesus? I thought I saw you with him. No, not me, man. No, three times. Peter denied the Lord, denied the Lord. He's ashamed. He was afraid. He thought something was going to happen. Because Jesus got arrested. And he's like, oh man, I can't, I can't tell anyone I know him. What's going to happen to me? Right? And Jesus says, hey, if you're ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. can be hard for a Christian. Peter experienced that. Walking with the Lord for three and a half years, he thought he was brave and bold. He definitely did. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison or die for you. I think Peter believed that. That's, when he, that's why he cut, cut off Malchus's ear in the garden. Right? All these, all these troops come, these soldiers, and, and Peter does stand up to everyone. He's the guy with the sword. He pulls it out, cuts this guy's ear off. Then he's afraid. Jesus is taken. The disciples scatter. And he denies the Lord. Man, you've probably been there. You're afraid to say something or afraid to be a certain way around people, maybe at work or classmates. And then you feel bad. You know that was an opportunity or a chance. And then you, you walk away like, ah, oh, why didn't I say something? Why did I act like that? Paul said he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation. That's why you shouldn't be ashamed. Right? It's salvation. Paul wasn't afraid to serve the Lord. If you read, we don't have time, I just read it this morning and I sent a text to somebody early this morning, but if you read 2 Corinthians 11, it's everything Paul suffered. Uh, let's turn there real quick, actually. Read it. 2 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> Paul is defending his apostleship against these false prophets and teachers that are undermining people's faith. And he says this in verse 22, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak 
as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews received I 40 stripes minus one. That was for mercy. 40 stripes that would often kill people. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, in cold and nakedness, and besides all other things, that which comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the church. That's why, because I care about God's church. That's why I don't stop. I care about what God's called me to be. Imagine that. What would you do if you were beaten just one time with one rod, one time? Like, all right, I learned my lesson. See you later. Right? Paul just over and over. He's stoned at Lystra, dragged out of the city. They thought he was dead, and he bounces up and goes back in the city. Right? How do you stop that guy? He's not afraid. He's not ashamed because he knows his future. How do you stop a guy like that? that if you kill him, it's okay. He, Paul said, to, actually, for me, to die is gain. If I die, it's heaven, right? It's okay. Persecution, anything. Paul's ready to go. He's not afraid. He's not ashamed. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and the holy angels. We're growing. Doesn't mean you're not going to act. Peter, three and a half years with the Lord, denies the Lord. Doesn't mean it's the end of the world when you, when you mess up and make mistakes. Peter was broken. It said, said the cock crowed, you know, the rooster crows, and Peter begins to weep bitterly. He knew. Why? Because Jesus says, Peter, I know what you're going to do tonight. I know you're going to deny me before the morning. Peter's like, no way. Yeah, Peter, I know. Don't worry. When you're converted, when you change, strengthen your brethren. You're going to use this for other people. And how do you take up your cross? How do you do that? It's by the power of God's Spirit. You can't just say, you know what, today, take up my cross. I'm tough. Right? That's God's power. Lord, I need your strength today. I'm weak. And it says this in verse 27. I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So these guys are about to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, which I believe is Mount Hermon. They go from Caesarea Philippi. They head north to the Mount of Transfiguration here. And Jesus says, there's some people standing here that won't taste of death until they see the kingdom of God. Well, Peter, James, and John are obviously going to get a glimpse of God's glory and heaven 
But John, who's there, he writes the book of Revelation. He gets a greater glimpse, right? He gets to see uh, uh, church history unfold in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. He gets to see the rapture of the church. He gets to see the, the, the uh, tribulation, the second coming, Armageddon. He gets to see the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ, the new heaven, the new earth. John sees a lot before he dies. right? Exiled on the, on the island of Patmos. He says, Jesus says, listen, there's some people standing here who, who won't taste of death until they see the kingdom of God. And then it says this, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, James, and John, Peter, John, and James, and they went up to a mountain to pray. And as he prayed again, we'd see Jesus praying. It says the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, of his dying, his death, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, he saw, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles. Those are, that's three tents or three booths. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. They're probably thinking, we'll just stay out in the weather. I don't know. Let's make three. You, I don't want you guys to go anywhere. And not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered into the cloud. So here comes this cloud. They're like, oh boy, what's this? And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were fearful. They entered the cloud and a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told, told no one in those days of the things that they had seen. The mountaintop where Jesus is transfigured, that's the place where, where you're prepared for the valley. And that's where we live is in the valley. You live in the valley every single day. It's nice to go to the mountaintop. As a pastor, we go, I just went to uh, oh, uh, uh, Franklin, Oil City, Pennsylvania. There's a place they call it the, class, the castle. Uh, it's, it's life ministries. It's a place that night in, the, in the early 70s, the late 60s, Chuck Smith used to go and and bring his team from the West Coast, and guys would come, and they'd just have a little pastor's conference there, uh, and it's been, been going that long. Uh, so we just went down with some local pastors. It's kind of a mountaintop experience. It's, it's, it's awesome. Just all these pastors teaching, sharing, talking about ministry. Uh, there's a, a conference. We go to Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Uh, there's thirteen or 1,400 pastors uh, in the room just worshiping and you know it, those are mountaintop experiences but you can't live on the you don't can't stay in the mountain the mountain prepares you for the valley when these guys get off the mountain they're going to meet a man whose son is demon possessed who who this kid is jumping into the fire and in the water hurting himself this guy is at his wits end what do i do with my son right the disciples are all freaked out oh my gosh i don't know what to do But the mountain prepares you for the valley. 
And that's you, you and I need to make it to the mountain. You need to be up there. And Jesus goes up there and it prepares him for, for what? For the cross. Moses and Elijah speak to him. Not about, hey, it's going to be your best life now. Don't worry. It's going to be great for you. No, they say, Jesus, you're going to die. This is going to happen in Jerusalem in about six months, and it's not going to be good. You read Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. His beard is plucked out. He's beaten. Shamefully treated. So they're telling him. And that's what the mountain does. When you go up on the mountain, bring your Bible. Should be praying, bring your Bible. Because it comes alive. Moses and Elijah are there standing right next to it. Right? You're not, probably not going to see Moses and Elijah. But you might, might read uh, the prophets. You might read some of Moses' writings and it just comes alive to you starts speaking to you and you're like oh my gosh lord i needed that and lord's like yeah you're going to need it more than you know you don't know what's going to happen when you hit the valley here in a minute right but you need the mountaintops and it was you know in the morning these guys talk to him and they're talking to jesus all about his death what it's going to accomplish salvation what are these guys doing though they're sleeping you ever do that i've done that i'm sleeping in today i get a good view of people up in the like you're thinking your your wife doesn't see you and you're like i'm praying honey hold on right i can see you wife might not be able to see you these guys do that. This isn't the only time they fall asleep at a very important moment. You can probably relate, and I can relate. These guys are sleeping. Moses and Elijah show up. They're talking to Jesus. Peter, if you've ever said anything dumb, you can join in with Peter here. He doesn't know what to say when he wakes up, and he just says, all right, let's make three Let's set up three tents. You guys stay right here, right? He doesn't want to leave the mountain. And God, the Father, comes down in a cloud. They're freaked out and says, listen, that's my son. Why don't you listen to him? Right? That's important. That's an important lesson for, for all of us. Let's listen to him. This, this marked Peter so much. We won't turn there, I don't think. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter talks all about it, that he saw in the holy mountain. He saw his glory. That this marked Peter's life like, oh my goodness. We need to get to the mountaintop, guys. We need to sit before the Lord with the Bible. Just talk to him. Because you, you don't know what come, what, what's right around the corner for your life what you're going to experience, what's going to happen. Jesus knew. The disciples didn't know. The disciples didn't know what was next. 
They wanted to stay there. And it's, the mountaintop's awesome, but you can't stay. But it's a place to go to hear God's voice, right? That might be early, early in the morning for you. Might be at night. A lot of my kids, they'll go, oh, Dad, I'm, I'm going to read for a minute at night. I'm like, just shut off your light. What are you talking about? No. Tired. They'll go in their rooms at night and read or whatever. Do devotions, get their journal out. You need a time away. And Jesus, we know from the other Gospels, Jesus not only was praying, God speaking to him, but he's fasting because he'll say, you know, he comes off the mountain and, and he has to tell these guys what, how, how uh, uh, to handle a situation like this. Talking about this demon-possessed boy, he says, these only come out by prayer and fasting. And Jesus is able to rebuke this demon. Jesus is up on the mountain. He's praying. He's fasting. Uh, so it says in verse 37, it happened the next day came down the mountain and a great multitude met him. Other gospels say that they were the disciples were arguing with the scribes and Pharisees. Luke's account says suddenly a man from the multitude cried out and all the accounts say this but you get a little more information in some of the other gospels if you haven't figured that out by now. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying teacher I implore you Look on my son, he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and then it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. The other, disciples, other gospels say that it, it, since a child, Jesus says, how long has this been going on? He says, from a little child. He's tried to throw himself in the fire, in the water, trying to harm him. It's a real thing. How did it enter? What was the access? What's the entry point? How do you open yourself up? Because people do. It's a real thing. So uh, he says, I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Right? That was, that's the problem. We do a lot with our kids, don't we? Bring our kids, son hunting, to practice, to the games, to the movies. We, we bring our kids everywhere. Verizon, maybe, T-Mobile. Very important that they have a cell phone and internet full access all the time in their bedrooms. And Jesus says, listen, here's the problem. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. Don't neglect that as parents. Jesus rebukes them. He answers how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Now you go to church, and you, but are you bringing your kids to me? Are you faithful to doing that? And 
And as he, he was still coming, it says, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and gave him back to his father. Looked like epilepsy, probably, or, or, or an epileptic seizure, foaming at the mouth. And even when Jesus is coming, it throws him down with one last chance, one last effort. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and gave him back to his father. What do you think that father did? Go back to Verizon? Honey, your subscription's about to... We got to get you signed back up. That kid probably, that, that guy probably was like, where's Jesus going to be tomorrow? We got to go find him. We're going to follow. This was amazing. Lord, thank you for touching my son. He probably became part of the group that just wherever Jesus goes, I don't care about that. I don't care. We're going to follow this guy. Thank you for touching my son. He was about to die. That kid was going to die. Amazing what the devil wants to do with a life. It's real. It's not a joke. It takes a life. And maybe you can't discern it or see it or understand what's happening, but his desire, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy lives. Jesus said, a house divided can't stand. There's a foundation to build a life on, and it's on Jesus Christ. One that Jesus would say, the storms come, difficulties come, the rain, the wind, and it stands because it's built on a rock, has a foundation. Storms are coming. The valley, we have to live in it every day. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. There's power in his name. He cares about your life. He cared about this this. this young boy cares about each and every individual life and what we're going through and he wants to speak to us he wants to meet us in the mountain and prepare us for the valley so lord we just thank you for your word thank you for the power of it the truth of it lord lord i pray that for this morning lord just the little bit we looked at god we know who you are we see you as, as Lord, as King, and you came to suffer and die, but thank God you didn't say that, stay there. You rose again the third day. The guys on the road to Damascus, understood that. The third day, they worried about that day. Lord, I'm so thankful that you're risen. That you give the same way it was Paul's desire to know you and the power of your resurrection. Resurrected life, Lord, sometimes comes through suffering, crucifixion of our old flesh, our old life, our old nature. It's giving you the reins of our life. We want to do that, God. We love you uh, and thank you so much for your, that you first loved us, Lord, in your name. Amen.
Jesus met two men, not on the road to Damascus, but on the road to Emmaus. And it says, what kind of conversation? Jesus said, what kind of conversation is this that you have one with another, that as you walk, you're sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? Haven't you known the things which happened here these days? He said, Jesus said, what things? And they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since all these things happened. They lost hope. Listen, the third day happened, Jesus is is not dead. He's alive. He cares so much for your life. He's risen indeed. And he gives these guys hope. Listen, it's easy to walk through this life sad and be discouraged and like, oh Lord, where's the help? He's right there. He's going to walk us through. This life's hard. I don't know how people walk through this life without Jesus Christ. I really don't. How do you deal with death? How do you deal with relationship things? separate all that how do you deal with it i just don't know we have a god who cares who loves you and you get to talk to and pray to who's able to move in ways that only he can and do things that only he can so if anybody needs prayer come on up we'll pray if not have a great week we'll see you next week